the frozen tundra of the Pacific Northwest, armed with a fresh stack of calendar pages and the unique optimism of a new year, you have just fallen into After Office Hours with the Puget Sound Economic Forecaster. It's here that you'll find the ongoing conversation about our Puget Sound regional economy. We record this podcast about one month after posting our quarterly forecast and report as a way to expand on the report, but also engage you in some of the same discussions we have in our office every day. Today is January 16th, 2024, as we hit record. Depending on when and where you're listening, you may have fallen into an alternative universe. So as always, we highly advise you look both ways and do not run with scissors or random internet sources. The year ahead promises to not be short of content for us as it appears. Elections, resurgences of all kinds of viruses, continuing war, new wars, conflicts, supply chain challenges. And as I look at this list, we have, well, we'll just say it's an assortment of interesting opportunities for analysis. With that, I'll leave it to our guest today to color in the year ahead. Let's see who we have on deck today. Dr. Hart Hodges, an economics professor at Western Washington University. Hart writes the regional forecast article and will occasionally contribute to other articles based on the topics. Hart and I both co-direct the Center for Economic and Business Research here at Western. Drew Havens and James Mark Betta are research economists and maintain all of the switches, dials, and occasional pulley of many of our models while providing a wide array of insights into the forecast. Drew and James Mark write many of the articles each quarter, as well as the monthly updates for our digital subscribers. Today is the first podcast for James Mark, so he recently joined our team, and we're going to be extra kind to him today, maybe. My name is James McCafferty, and I serve as the general manager and publisher for the newsletter, but it's a team that really makes the magic happen, from outside partners and our center's own research staff, and for each of them, I'm always grateful. So we're halfway into January, 4% of the new year. I'm curious to what each of you are keeping your eye on in the coming year. Can we take a minute and have each of you talk to me about two metrics or events or something that you think will be truly significant? Art, what say you? I'm going to cheat and offer more than two. Middle East and Ukraine, geopolitical risks, that's not really a metric. They're out there. You got to watch them. For the metrics, I'm going to go with the labor market and inflation. Number three, consumer debt. I have to watch, you know, just uh, I'm wondering what's happening to consumer spending to think about how is the economy holding up? Does inflation persist, right? That's the interest rate side. Does the labor market hold up? Are we going to get that soft landing? But uh, we'll talk more about that later in the show, I'm sure. So I'll turn it over to Drew. Thanks, Art. I have a couple topics I would like to discuss today. First, as our viewers know, we have election season coming up this year. And in fact, that election season already started just last night with the Iowa caucus. I just want to remind our, our viewers that sometimes economic data can get weaponized by campaigns and to just always be cautious about where your sources come from. One of the things that's always talked about in election years is job creation. And we have seen very positive job growth for the past few years, mainly due to the rebound of the economy from COVID. There's also been several labor issues that have occurred this past year in 2023. Notably, half a million American workers went on strike in 2023, and that resulted in significant gains for workers. We could continue to see momentum from some of those strikes in 2024, and I think it's going to be really interesting to see if labor issues are addressed by the presidential campaigns. All right, James Mark. Let's, uh, you're, you're, you've been with us for about a month at this point. So what's got your eyes in the Puget Sound regional economy? Yeah, thank you very much for the opportunity. And I'm excited to be here for the first time. 
Yeah, I think uh, one important metric that uh, we should all be watching out is the interest rates. Given that uh, the Fed has held a study of interest rates in their last meeting, it is very important that investors, consumers, and everybody watch out for uh, interest rates, in, especially getting to uh, in the first quarter of 2024, because we all know that inflation affects a lot of decisions, talking about um building and shelter and all other stuffs and other durable good investments. So it's very, very important to keep an eye on the interest rate and hopefully um, the next Fed meeting, we'll see how changes and decisions of the Fed would influence our forecast going forward. And also, again, that is hugely linked to inflation because interest rate has a lot of linkage inflation. And given that in recent quarter, um, inflation has been, uh, the CPI has been a a relatively stable, not completely, but a relatively stable, but we are hoping that that trend can continue. And um, again, consumers and investors will have to watch out for inflation. That's great. So, okay. So you've, you've just given me a lot of things to think about here. So Hart, can we talk for a minute about the national or perhaps even the international landscape? So in thinking about our corner of the world, I'm not sure how you get a corner on a globe, but in our corner of the world, what do you see as the road ahead? Or perhaps the easier question might be, what do you see as the potholes ahead as we think about things from the national and international landscape? Well, I think just in terms of the national road, slower growth, you know, and you and you, you can pick your forecast from, you know, whichever major bank or the National Association of Business Economists or Blue Chip, and you're going to find something like GDP slowing from two and a half percent this year to one percent this, this past year to one percent in 2024 inflation coming down but still slow and choppy descent so still high enough that the fed has to be attentive there's a going to be an interesting tension if you look at what the stock market is predicting and some of some of the banks are predicting five or six rate cuts starting in march the fed's dot plot or you know their best guess at the moment is closer to three so I just think you're, you're going to find slower growth, lingering inflation back into the 2% to 3% range, but sort of it'll feel better, but it's not where the Fed really wants to go. That means interest rates, as James Mark was mentioning, that interest rates are going to be a little higher uh, than some people like. And I, and I think not only because of inflation in the near term, but I don't think rates get back to the regime they were in or the world they were in from 2010 through 21, right? Mortgage rates might come back down, let's just say 5%, not going back to 3% for a long time. So there, there are risks in commercial real estate as those loans get reworked uh, this year. The, uh, we've already mentioned some of the geopolitical risks, you know, just a hangover from consumer spending being so elevated for, for you know, months and months and months and months. The forecast for the the Great Recession of 2023 that never happened was partly people expecting consumer spending to slow at the end of last summer. It didn't. Okay, it's going to slow late in the year. Well, it didn't. If we keep making that prediction, we'll be right at some point. That slower growth road ahead, definitely true on the international stage. You asked about that. Two wars, debt in China. You know, there's a, a lot going on. We're just talking about a, a slower global economy. And I think in our corner, uh, it's going to be a case study sitting in that larger context, slower growth, slower growth in tech. Uh, and that'll that'll feel different in Seattle. Right? When you think about 
the wages and the information sector. What is it, James? Were they two, $250,000, $260,000 per, per job in that sector? If you have less growth there, you know, it ripples, ripples through. Occupancy, who comes back to work downtown? What does the downtown feel like? Cities that have a lot of tech and, and accommodate remote work, they look different. Those downtown areas look different. So that's, there, you know, there could be some challenges, but it, it's not a dire forecast. Like you say, it's just a, a, a road with slower, slower traffic because maybe because of all the potholes and risks. I don't want to steal the show. I, I want to hear uh, a, a little bit more from, uh, from others. No, I think that's. I think those are good. Uh, there's a, a great article today in, in the Financial Times about what if the rate cuts don't come, right? I mean, there's. I think there's going to be some interesting questions around what what potential rate cuts and expectations of rate cuts are going to be. Well, I mean, if the, the, if the Fed wants to see inflation, you know, in the mid high to mid twos for a few months, a couple of few months before they start lowering rates, well, that takes us into March, April before they start. So what if it's May right. and what if they only get two or three cuts? So I, I think there's a very real risk that people do not get the amount of rate cuts that they're hoping for or are already betting on. Yeah, so the expectations are definitely uh, high in some universes. You know, speaking of uh, current thinking, and there's no way to get around this topic, so I'm going to take it straight on. We need to talk about Boeing. We need to talk about aerospace employment. Both have been in the news lately. And so I think we need to talk about what the recent series of incidents may occur. So let's unpack that very broad statement. Hart, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm leaning on you a little bit here at the top of our uh, podcast. I'll give you a break and a few questions. Can you talk to me about a minute about the role of aerospace employment and activities in the region? Like back in the 70s, there's the, the quintessential sign, right? The last person out of Seattle, please turn off the lights when they saw this giant downturn in aerospace. We're not looking at those kind of scenarios with aerospace's involvement in the in the local economy, but it does have impacts. So, how, can you talk me through what what's what do we need to think about when we talk about aerospace employment? Well, yeah, you mentioned potholes, not door plugs, so I didn't I didn't go there initially. Aerospace employment, as you mentioned, used to be a just a large part in terms of the percent of the total of total employment in the region, and it was very dominant in terms of manufacturing when. Boeing had its ups and downs with orders. I mean, if there was a bit of a lull at Boeing, the whole region felt like it was in a bit of a recession. Over time, you know, Boeing has become a smaller and smaller player, uh, not just because they moved the headquarters or have production facilities elsewhere right now. It's just that as you watched Microsoft, Amazon, others grow grow faster, right? Boeing just was a smaller player. They still are representative of the manufacturing sector. It's just a lot smaller. I mean, nationally, manufacturing in the 50s was what, 30% of, of employment in the US and it's now less than 10. And it's you know, similar, it's less than 10 in, in, in King County now. But the, the swings in, in aerospace are still visible in the employment data. So that's it's, it's still relevant. It's still important to track because it's a, a an indicator of sorts. Hart, that's a, that's a lot of really good things to think about. And so I wanted to come back down to how we actually use the Boeing data in the model. So Drew, talk to me about how when you and James Mark are looking at the data, uh, how is that important? Is it a proxy? How are you using that data in the modeling? Because I know we talk about Boeing in the, in the modeling. Sure. You uh, will often see Boeing mentioned in our monthly update reports 
And that's because we collect data on the number of planes that Boeing has orders for, as well as the number of planes that they deliver in a given month. And we use that data as, as definitely more of a proxy for other manufacturing activities in the Puget Sound region. And like I was saying, that number of orders can vary widely, but the number of deliveries is generally a lot more consistent. I was working on graphing the number of orders versus the number of deliveries before we hopped on the podcast here. And both have been slowly trending upward since COVID. However, like Hart was saying, Boeing is just not as vital to the regional economy as it once was. So the data we collect is more used to inform our manufacturing forecasts rather than drive them entirely. For example, the monthly manufacturing index relies on Boeing manufacturing information. And it can be difficult to get an accurate picture of what is going on in individual sectors of the economy. So having a, a large manufacturer such as Boeing provide that timely data on production really helps us fine tune our models. It will be interesting to see what the impacts the challenges have in aviation in terms of the general public, right? We've seen huge spikes in people going on vacations and other trips while business travel is not definitely definitely not returned to the levels that we saw pre-pandemic. But will people reconsider their vacation plans? Will people reconsider that trip as they 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 see what's going on within the, the world of aviation and how every hiccup suddenly has become calamitous in the news? James Mark, I read in the last edition quite a bit about consumers being concerned about the economy, yet record spending, right? I, I'm really concerned, but I'm going shopping. Can you talk me through some expectations for consumers in the year ahead and what I, as a consumer of economic data, if you pardon the pun, might want to stay focused on? Yeah, sure. Uh, I would like to start with the current report by the Bureau of Economic Analysis, which shows that for the month of November, the consumer expenditure index rose by about 0.2%, uh, which means that obviously consumers are spending uh, more than a month before. Now, the question has to be, okay, which factors are influencing this change? Uh, if you look into the data, it's obvious that one is the increase in personal income and also increase in personal disposable income. Now, these are, <laughs> these are factors that are coming from uh, the fact that employers are getting higher pay and you know, they are having more um, ability to spend than before. So if you also compare this data with the savings data, it's really emphasized that, yeah, although consumers are worried, they still have a kind of uh, confidence in the economy and they are spending more than a month or in the previous, than the previous quarter. And so going forward, I think um, I expect this trend to continue in the sense that given that inflation is a bit stable and if you, again, that gives consumers the purchasing power uh, and so going forward into the first quarter of 20, like we already in first quarter of 2024, I expect that consumers would have more confidence in the economy than before and spending will continue. We are hoping that the next release of the uh, quarterly uh, report by the Bureau of Economic Analysis will be on the January 26. And I don't expect much change in this given the current economic conditions. You know, consumers have been a conundrum. That's that's uh, no lie. Uh, that's for sure. As we kind of try and match up what consumers think of the economy versus how they're behaving in the economy. Drew, switching gears, commercial real estate looks like it's got some financing and occupancy challenges ahead. 
Um, I've seen some national data with 30% vacancy rates in commercial properties. What does this look like in our region? What do you know? Well, like Hart was telling us earlier, Seattle has a lot of information and tech firms. And those firms, Microsoft, Amazon, um, have quite the real estate presence in Seattle. I don't have specific data on vacancy rates for commercial real estate in the Puget Sound region, but we do have this tool available to us called the Castle Back to Work Barometer. Um, that tool shows us that as of January 8th, 2024, the average occupancy in off, and this is in office occupancy, so number of employees coming to, to work in the office is 32.6%. And that is an average of the top 10 metro areas in the United States. So we can use that as a pretty good proxy as well for Seattle. So that tells us that 30% uh, vacancy for commercial real estate very well may be um, accurate as these commercial real estate leases come due and their companies um, find that they might not be able to pay them or they might not be worth paying, that number is only going to increase. Definitely see shifts, right? The happening of, of the demand for what properties are being used for and seeing con some conversions. We've seen some of that in the Seattle region, uh, conversion of commercial property to residential. Um, so it's going to be a fascinating space to kind of watch through. And of course, as, as building owners, have to refinance their uh, underlying debt for those buildings. I think that's going to continue to put some pressure on utilization of those spaces. Drew, I have to wonder, how does this connect to the housing market? Like, what is there a, a correlation here? Is there connections we should be thinking about? Sure. Anytime we're talking about commercial real estate and residential real estate, of course, they are connected. The building materials are connected. So if you're not building as much commercial real estate, there's definitely more labor as well as materials available for the residential real estate market. As we've talked about before, though, that residential real estate market is still extremely tight in the Puget Sound. There is simply not enough supply being built to meet the demand that exists. Right now, demand is down as we have very high interest rates and not that many consumers are looking to purchase a home right now. But as soon as those interest rates start to fall, I think we can expect demand for housing to go right back up. Thanks, Drew. Hart, it sounds like 2024 is, in general, it's expected to be a year of slow growth with some micro-recession, maybe. Is micro-recession a word? I don't know. Like activities in subsectors, making my quote-unquote economic perspective different than quote-unquote yours, based on our variable exposures and interests. What do you think? Is that a fair summary? Yeah, in a lot of ways it is. I mean, you can you can just picture the variation in what people will experience in different cities, depending on the industry mix that's that's in a given city. It's going to feel very different. Whether that's one city has a lot more back to office than than the than the other issues that that could be homelessness or what was the growth like over the prior decades? So what's housing affordability like? It's it's just going to be quite varied as you go from one location to the next. And it's not going to be great in all, all locations. So yeah, I think you'll get a, a type of localized recessions or something that feels like right, recession is supposed to be very broad based. So it's not fair to say Seattle's having a recession and Portland's not. Uh, that doesn't It doesn't work that way. But I, mean, I, I see the point you're making. Slow growth is the summary. Uh, I, I just think it's going to be fun 
to watch, right? All the colorful news. And I don't know whether it's overstatements or incomplete comments. I'm trying to avoid saying misinformation. I mean, how does the Fed handle the various components of monetary policy with the election? How do they keep from being accused of favoring one one candidate or another? It's just, you're, you're going to get different experiences in different locations, but you're also going to get very, very different stories from different news channels describing the same thing in incredibly different ways. So it's going to be a curious year to watch. And hopefully things don't really head south, you know, expansion of, of or getting dragged into a, a war. So yeah. heading south, you mean like the the coach for the University of Washington or no, I'm, I'm, I'm just weaving in local, local flavor. Yeah, right I, now. It's, it's going to feel different in Seattle without Kalen DeBoer. Is that what you're saying? You, you I'm thinking, your... yeah. That, no, no it's, hard, uh, it's as we were, as we were walking through some of these comments, it reminded me, we've been having some fun in the, in the keynotes we've been doing this last year, where we've been pulling the audience for the definition of a recession and how typically less than half the audience uh, will will get that whole widespread concept in in what a recession is and and so I think people are going to struggle uh, with with understanding what a recession really is and what what it's like to experience an actual recession because of that widespread versus my personal pocket so drew and James mark we're we're coming up on the end here so uh, we create monthly updates which are available to our online subscribers in fact I think those just went up the other day. What should we be looking forward to reading in those? If you look at our monthly reports, um, especially the current economic indicators, uh, you notice that there is 8.7% um, annualized employment growth in the aerospace industry, uh, which was very similar to uh, the month before, which uh, shows that the aerospace uh, sector is kind of booming or activity in the aerospace sector is booming in the PS region. So it's important to watch out for that because it, it just tells us that this that sector play a crucial role in the, the regional economy. It's also important that the unemployment unemployment insurance claim in the region increase marginally. So again, although the employment in the aerospace industry is creating a lot of uh, opportunity in the region, job losses in the other sectors like manufacturing, sorry, um, construction and um, information are kind of, you know, offsetting the benefits that we are getting from the uh, employment creation in the aerospace industry. Okay. And also, if you look at our monthly index, between October and November, the leading index rose by about 3%, 0.3%. I beg your pardon. So, it tells you that although uh, there are job losses in some sectors, economic activity in general is booming. And it's important for our consumers and our readers to watch out for these indices. And we hope that this trend will continue in the coming months. And I'll just add, I think that the main story with these most recent monthly updates is the loosening job market in the Puget Sound. So James Mark is talking about how some sectors, such as aerospace, are definitely increasing their production. At the same time, there is increasing unemployment in the Puget Sound, and the Puget Sound unemployment rate is actually up to 4.6% now. That is higher than the U.S. rate, as some of our astute readers might know, and that signals a looser labor market in the Puget Sound relative to that national labor market. We're not too concerned about this as of now, 
going into 2024, we have high expectations for the economy and we expect that things will continue to even out. But we did want to just highlight that to our readers that that loosening labor market is going to result in a higher amount of workers being available for open positions and then also maybe a little bit slower wage growth going forward. And of course, that slower wage growth will be connected to the the increasing unemployment rate, right? That that takes off the pressure, which allows the market to restabilize, which is the underlying story of our slowing 2024, getting things returning back to somewhat kind of a normal reality, kind of a average, whatever the word you want to use. And that's uncomfortable, I think, in a lot of respects for a lot of people as they kind of reacquaint themselves with that feeling. And again, as a reminder for you highly educated listener, 4.6% unemployment is actually still pretty low. So uh, that's uh, we're, we're, again, climbing back to where numbers ought to be. So with all of that, it brings us to a close of this edition of After Office Hours with the Puget Sound Economic Forecaster. We encourage you to follow us on social media to have a front row seat of reading over our shoulders on a daily basis and learn other ways about how to connect with us. You can always reach us via our website, cebr.ww.edu, or by email, cebr at www.edu, with questions, comments, or if you're interested in having us come speak at one of your, your events, we'd be happy to do that. And uh, audiences are delighted with us all over the region. Well, most of them are amused, I guess. After Office Hours with the Puget Sound Economic Forecaster is a production of the Center for Economic and Business Research here at Western Washington University. We got to give Jill Poon, our producer, a big thanks for making us sound polished and professional when all is said and done. And of course, our friends with KDMC also all of their help with producing our fine efforts. To learn more about the topics discussed today, please visit economicforecaster.com and subscribe to our quarterly newsletter. You can subscribe to After Office Hours with the Future Sound Economic Forecaster on Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Transistor, or wherever you happen to land to listen to podcasts. From all of us here at Western Washington University, we hope you have a fabulous 2024 and a great day. 